It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening. It's Wednesday, the pot of tea is on the go, it's been drunk. We're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the noughties and to the football of its time. This is the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast, this is episode 22. Now on today's show we're going to take a dive into the Super Sundays from 2004 until the end of the decade. Table Never Lies goes to Italy and to 2001, but first we're going to Spain and to one of the best teams of the 2000s. That team isn't Real Madrid, no it's not even Barcelona, it's not Deportivo, it is of course Valencia. Now in the aftermath of the Spanish Civil War, Valencia with striker Edmundo Suarez was firing in the goals. They were supremely successful in the 1940s, a period that captured them three La Liga titles, a Copa del Rey and an appearance at three more cup finals in Spain. Their fourth league title came in 1971 when an away win in Barcelona sealed a fourth league title on a head-to-head record, but they hadn't won the league since. They were shockingly relegated in 1986 for a season before bouncing straight back to La Liga in the times of Real Madrid dominance in the 80s and Cruyff in the 90s with the dream team in Barcelona. They'd returned to prominence in 1999 under Claudio Ranieri with a Copa del Rey title. They had an absolutely superb team. He had Adrian Ilie up front and Claudio Lopez behind him. Guys Comendier is probably the first name I think of when I picture Valencia. But then you've got Santi Canizares keeping goal, one of the best goalkeepers in a time for Spain where they had some absolutely superb keepers. Casillas, obviously, number one. Pepe Reina, of course, as well. Javier Navarro, which we spoke about last week in our Sevilla section of the podcast. And Juan Fran also played at their hometown clubs with Jocelyn Angloma in defence, bombing on down that right wing in a wing-back role. At the end of the 1998-99 season, though, Claudio Ranieri was away to Atletico Madrid, so Valencia replaced him with the Mallorca manager, Hector Cooper. Cooper's Mallorca side had lost to Valencia 3-0 on the final day, which in turn ensured Champions League football for Valencia. 
Their only previous season in the Champions League was in 1971-72, which ended in a second round exit to a Hungarian team that I'm not even going to pretend to be able to pronounce. So the bedrock of the team that we know today began to be formed in that summer of 1999. Keely Gonzalez was signed from Real Zaragoza, who's one of my favourites. Maurizio Pellegrino was signed from Barcelona at the back to, to solidify the defence there, as well as David, David Albelda from Villarreal in the midfield. Valencia experienced an exceedingly slow start and were in the relegation zone after their first four losses of the season back-to-back. They were in the relegation zone in November, but they kicked on. They improved upon fourth under Ranieri the previous season with third place, and they held their own in Europe as well. The previous year's finalist Bayern Munich, two draws in the first group stage. They'd gone toe-to-toe with Bayern, and from one former finalist to another, they faced Manchester United. They lost in Manchester to the champions, but got a point at home in the sixth match day of the second group stage. That point alongside Fiorentina's inability to win was enough to qualify them for the quarterfinals. The furthest they had ever gone in European competition. They faced Lazio in the quarterfinals and it was new frontiers for both sides really, but Valencia, they led by two inside just four minutes. They'd win 5-2 at home, winning it 5-3 on aggregate, booking a place in the semi-finals with Barcelona. Barcelona had an absolute glut of talent with Overmars, Cliver, Rivaldo, Puyol, etc, etc, etc. But it would be another 5-3 aggregate win. Miguel Angolo picked his moments to score in the Champions League. He only scored four times in the tournament and those were twice against Lazio and two more against Barcelona. He would start the final in Paris up top with Claudio Lopez in a diamond formation from Cooper. He had Gerard Lopez at the tip with Gais Comendieta and Kili Gonzalez shuttling. Valencia, though, would lose thanks to a Fernando Morientes header and that phenomenal Steve McManaman scissor kick and a Raul third late on when Valencia were pushing for the win. But we took it to the fans. What we asked on Twitter at whatif underscore YouTube what our fans' memories of Valencia was. And we got a response from at Maracas Flute who stated Valencia's squad in the early 2000s was absolutely wonderful. A dreamy midfield with Baraglia and Albelda holding the centre. Unbelievable talent of Aymar Mendieta too. But my favourite was Keely Gonzalez, who scored at least twice from impossible angles in the Champions League games. He also went on to state that he asked Spanish football expert Alvaro Romeo about Valencia. But Romeo stated that the recruitment and youth came together at the right time in a perfect blend. Jocelyn Angloma was one of his favourites bombing on, as well as El Raton, Roberto Ayala, performing the dark arts at centre-half. And he states that so many names of the time that are evocative of the football, including Gerard Lopez. Emu Banchu follows up with Adrianile being nicknamed the Cobra by Ranieri. And it brought about a discussion that have nicknames fallen out of the game. And I know it's not a nickname, but Zlatan for me, I think, has taken on a higher meaning than just a name. It's more like a brand now. And people don't call him Ibrahimovic, they just call him Zlatan. So uh, that's my suggestion for that discussion. Anyway, we push on. A few, men- few names mentioned there would join throughout the 2000-2001 season. Pablo Aymar in central attacking midfield would join Ruben Braia behind him and Roberto Ayala even further behind him. Now, alongside Mendieta, these three are probably the names that I think of when I think of Valencia first. Vicente as well, who also joined, cannot be discounted. And he was up there for top scorers for the club the following season. Also, Pablo Aymar was absolutely phenomenal on Championship Manager 2001-2. Put him with Vincenzo Montella of Roma and you've got an absolute dream team. So load the game up and put them two together and you'll 
doubtlessly win numerous Champions Leagues. Anyway, John Carew, he joined the lineup as well as Didier Deschamps, who I had no recollection of whatsoever playing for Valencia, but the club was ransacked. Claudio Lopez went to Lazio, Gerard Lopez went to Barcelona. Fran Farinos went to Inter Milan, a central defensive midfielder who played in the 2000 final against Real Madrid. Valencia, though, were breezed through both group stages, matching Manchester United in the last 16 with a couple of draws. Their only loss came in a dead rubber away at Olympiacos in the first group stage. Arsenal would push them the closest, but that man, John Crew, Aston Villa legend, got the crucial late winner in the Mestalla in an away goals victory. Valencia moved on to the semi-finals again. They met more English opposition in Leeds, and now, of course, as we all know, Valencia would go through. It was goalless in Yorkshire, but they obliterated Leeds in Spain. 3-0 and another final, and again, it was Bayern Munich. They'd drawn twice the previous season, and they did so again. All three games finished 1-1. Guy's Comendietta's early penalty was equalised by one of his own from Stefan Effenberg. And in the final kick of the game... Maurizio Pellegrino missed the crucial kick and Bayern won 5-4, a German team winning on penalties, no surprise, etc, etc. But the season wasn't over there. They still had three games to go in La Liga. They were third and three points ahead of Barcelona in fifth, with Mallorca as a buffer in the fourth and final Champions League spot. Four points were needed. But in perhaps on paper the easiest game away at Rasa and Santander, guys Comendieta had to salvage a late 1-1 draw, so Valencia were left with a home tie against Deportivo and a shootout at the new Camp against Barcelona on the final day. Roy Mackay would of course win for Deportivo as they comfortably finished in second place, not following up on their La Liga triumph in 2000, which left Valencia and Barcelona separated by just three points going into the final game. This is the £20 million match of England before that was even dreamt of a couple of seasons later. Valencia's plus 22 goal difference met Barcelona's plus 20, but that simply didn't matter because La Liga ruled on head-to-head. So we go back to January the 19th, 2001. Frank de Boer's early goal in the Mestalla was enough for a 1-0 win. Now, Valencia matched Barcelona. For every Roberto Ayala was there was a Carlos Puyol. For every Maurizio Pellegrino, there was a Frank de Boer. And for every Pablo Aima, there was a Rivaldo. And of course, we all know Rivaldo proved the difference. Valencia only needed a point to return Valencia to the Champions League. It would go down as one of the greatest games in recent La Liga history. Rivaldo scored a free kick inside four minutes. Barcelona going to the Champions League. Ruben Baraya headed in from a corner. The, sw- the tie swung back to Valencia in a 1-1 draw. But Rivaldo drilled in a long effort before the break, before another Baraya header after the half-time break. It was 2-2. Until the 89th minute when Barcelona pressed and pressed and pressed for that winner that they needed to get back into the Champions League. A clipped ball into Rivaldo on the edge of the box. He chests it up. It goes about seven foot in the air. It seems to hang there for an eternity. An overhead kick from 20 yards out, bottom corner. Barcelona three, Valencia two. Barcelona will go into the Champions League. After this, Mendieta would leave, Cooper would leave, and in came Mister up front and Rafael Benitez, who took the job on from Tenerife after a year. What followed was instant success. A league title in 2002, but no success in Europe, where they would face a quarter-final with Inter Milan. But it was a new team and an experienced one. Still there, though, were Canizares, Pellegrino, Ayala, Albelda, Baraya, Angulo, Aymar, Vicente, with new blood such as Fabio Aurelio, Carlos Marchena, Isco and Mosisoko. 
They shot ahead of La Liga again in 2004, but slumped. They fell back as far as eight points behind Real Madrid in March as they attempted to juggle Liga and UEFA Cup. But then, La Remontada. Depor, Celta, Mallorca, Racing, Mercia, Zaragoza, Betis and Sevilla all fell. That win over Sevilla, with Vicente and Baraglia with the goals, coupled with Real Madrid's 3-2 loss at home to Mallorca the night before, saw the eight-point deficit in March become a seven-point lead in May with two to play. Valencia were champions again. Ten days later, they had another shot at glory in the UEFA Cup. They had won successive Fairs Cups in the 60s, in 62 against Barcelona and in 63 against Dynamo Zagreb. They'd beaten Arsenal in the 1980 Cup Winners' Cup Final and they were on course for their fourth European trophy. Vicente again and Mister in a 2-0 win over Marseille. Now Hector Cooper's side added two Champions League finals to their um, vacant trophy cabinet that was last added to in 1999 by Ranieri, but Rafael Benitez would come in, get his two league titles, get his UEFA Cup before leaving to England and to Liverpool, of course. So the two very different teams, Rafael Benitez's team was durable enough to lose these top stars such as your Claudio Lopez, Gerard Lopez, Mendieta, and um, the younger team turned into seasoned vets under Rafael Benitez. I've got them here on my five-team shortlist of the best team not to win the European Cup in the 2000s. First of all, we've spoken about them before on the show by Leverkusen, by Leverkusen in 2002. I believe it came too early for them with um, Dimitar Berbatov up front, who was still quite young, Michael Ballack was taken from them far too soon in his prime, who would then go on to Bayern Munich, of course. You had Ramelow, Zeroberto, Basturk in a quite exciting midfield, Hanjog Butier, goal-scoring goalkeeper, and Lucio at the back, who was one of my favourite centre-halves at the time. Following year, Juventus another fail- failure in the uh, Champions League final after Valencia in 2000-2001, Leverkusen in 2002, and now Juventus in 2003 like Valencia in 2001, missed out in a penalty shootout to AC Milan. They had, of course, Buffon, of course, in net. Turam, Zambrotta, Tudor, midfield of Davids, Nedved, Conte, Camerinese, up front, David Trezeguet, we'll be talking about later on, and Alessandro Del Piero. I think it's caught between two eras, and perhaps if that final came, perhaps in Buffon and Turam's first few se- first season at in from Parma, they would have uh, done something there. But name for name, I'd say that's the best team on this list. Arsenal in 2006 is my next one. Losing, of course, to Barcelona in the final in Paris there, a lot like Valencia in 2000. For them, it came too late. Their time was 2004 before they got, obviously, beaten by Chelsea in the quarterfinals. The Invincible winners were on the way, and Patrick Vieira had already gone. You've got Thierry Henry, Ashley Cole, Dennis Bergkamp and Pires who weren't too long for Arsenal, really. They had a stadium move in front of them where they couldn't sort of replace those players, those five key players that dragged them to lots and lots of successes, uh, domestically at least. And Chelsea in 2008, and like like Arsenal, it came too late for them. In terms of management, they kept roughly the same team, but Avram Grant had um, succeeded Jose Mourinho quite controversially earlier on in the season. And your likes of Petr Cech, who, who was the best goalkeeper in the world at that time, got John Terry, one of the best centre-halves in the world at the time, Frank Lampard, two, of course, Drogba, and Nicholas and El Crew missed the crucial penalty shootout penalty against Manchester United in the Moscow rain. 
Now, of course, Valencia are in uh, financial turmoil. They've been angling for a move away from the old Mestalla to the new Mestalla for what seems an eternity now. And they've having sold all of their best players like Safaran Torres, etc., etc., a couple to Villarreal as well. They seem destined to be mid-table or even struggling in La Liga this season and for a few seasons to come. A long way off their successes of the early 2000s. We'll be coming back home to England after this break where we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive on Super Sundays and Sky Sports. Welcome back. So in 1992, Sky Sports acquired a monopoly over the Premier League, the newly formed Premier League and televising all of its games. This would remain in place until 2007 where likes of Satanta, ESPN, and now BT Sport also co-share the rights as well as Amazon, of course. So this weekend we had the biggest Super Sunday ever, which was four games of varying degrees of quality. Let's say Southampton beat Sheffield United 3-0. We had the uh, two league leaders, Spurs and Liverpool, drawing away 1-1 to mid-table to low-ranging teams in Crystal Palace and Fulham, whilst Arsenal continued their brilliant home form, losing 1-0 at home to Burnley, albeit with Aubameyang getting on the score sheet. Now, to qualify for a Super Sunday, I believe there has to be a minimum of two games. So, whilst the first quote-unquote televised Super Sunday broadcast was on August the 16th, 1992, where Forrest beat Liverpool 1-0 thanks to a Teddy Sheringham winner, if you were wondering. This only featured one match, so I'm not going to count it. Anyway, we're looking at the 2000s anyway, so indulge me for a couple of minutes here. It's been 13 years since the first ever Grand Slam Sunday, so <laughs> a step up from your usual Super Sunday apparently. Tevez's goal for Manchester United beat Liverpool at Anfield in what would be their double winning campaign of 2008 where they won the Premier League and Champions League. Arsenal beat Chelsea thanks to William Gallas' header but unfortunately I didn't see this as my white ass was in the French Alps unfortunately but I did catch the inaugural Grand Slam Sunday which was on September the 17th 2006 and there was two 1-0s there too in two kg affairs. Drogba getting the 1-0 win for Chelsea over Liverpool whilst Emmanuel Adebayor got Arsenal's 1-0 win over Manchester United Old Trafford their previous win at Old Trafford until recently thanks to uh, Aubameyang's penalty earlier on in the season. Now, the hallmarks of a Grand Slam Sunday, they do have to be, for me, part of the big six or top four at the time. And the food chain is, of course, right at the top, you've got Grand Slam Sunday. Then you've got Derby Day, which would feature North London Derby and the Liverpool Derby, or perhaps the Tyneweir Derby, for example. I'd allow the West Midlands Derby, the Second City Derby, that's in the upper echelon for me, but like you... Blackburn versus Burnley, uh, you know, that's definitely a rung above for me. Anyway, I'm going to trust Wikipedia here where it states on the Super Sunday page that from the 2004-05 season where we will be collecting our data from, Super Sunday began to show two games, although I'm I'm fairly certain it was before this. It had to be, surely. I mean, let me know if you remember any Super Sunday with two or more games before 2004. Anyway, but with info being sparse on the old WW dot, we push on. Our first Super Sunday, as we believe it to be, was Everton 1, Arsenal 4. The Invincibles continue their long reign, but their reign would of course be over that season in 2004-05 with 
Chelsea winning the title and Chelsea would feature in the second match, beating Manchester United 1-0 thanks to Ida Good Johnson in Jose Mourinho's first match at Stamford Bridge. Now the best Super Sundays, I've got a couple from that first season. 2004, the Invincibles dream would die on game 49 or game 50. Who knows, I can't remember. It's one of those. Anyway, Wayne Rooney, Rudonis, so I got late goals in a 2-0 win at Old Trafford for Manchester United. But what drags it down really is a nil-nil between Southampton and Birmingham, which was uh, apparently pre-drinks that day on the 24th of August, 24th of October, sorry, 2004. A month later, though, we had another dramatic win between the two of the big four sides at the time, Neil Mellor scoring late on for Liverpool against Arsenal. Arsenal's, you know, Premier League dreams drowning at this stage. But it was preceded by a 1-1 between Newcastle and Everton, two sort of top half teams, but you know, it's hardly going to stoke the fires, is it? Now, two and a half years later on, we've got on March the 3rd, 2007, West Ham chasing that re- that relegation safety against Spurs in a a very exciting game, 4-3, Paul Talsteri scoring a late winner. What a player he was on FIFA 06, by the way. And that was preceded by Bolton 1, Blackburn 2, which, again, could be in a derby day, but... Again, that's a derby that's like lower echelons of that. And another one that could qualify for our derby day section, September the 20th, 2009. Chelsea 3, Tottenham 0, which had to follow the probably the best Manchester derby that I've ever seen anyway. 4-3, Michael Owen scoring the winner, etc. You know, Craig Bellamy, Darren Fletcher scoring multiple goals in that game. One of the best, one of the best Premier League games, full stop, never mind uh, Manchester derbies. Now let's get on to the worst Super Sundays. I mean, there's quite a few of these, as we'll discuss later on. January the 16th, 2005. Fulham 1, West Brom 0 was followed by Middlesbrough 1, Everton 1, which sounds... The only thing going for it is a a late, late Papa Booba Diop winner for Fulham against West Brom. And our first goalless Sunday, goalless Super Sunday, came... On April the 22nd, 2007, between Newcastle and Chelsea in the opener and Aston Villa and Portsmouth. At least it must have been sunny outside of it being in April. Unlike in November the 23rd, 2008, where Tottenham beat Blackburn 1-0, West Ham beat Sunderland away 1-0, two early goals, dark nights, utter shambles. Anyway, it's not the... I found a least goalier one than that. February the 8th, 2009, the North London derby finished 0-0. I haven't got any recollection of that match unless somebody else has. I don't know. Tottenham were up and coming. Arsenal were continuing that top four trophy run. And it was followed by West Ham nil at Manchester United 1 with Ryan Giggs scoring the only goal of the game from the corner. And that was the day before I turned 16. So happy birthday to me. And now our last entry into this section. Bolton lost to Blackburn 2-0 at home. Stoke beat Portsmouth 1-0. I only include this from November the 22nd, 2009, as it is sandwiched in between a game that wasn't selected. And that was Tottenham's 9-1 win over Wigan. I mean, come on. I mean, obviously you need a bit of foresight for this, but Tottenham versus Wigan probably on paper isn't an exciting game. But still, Jermaine Defoe scoring five goals in that game. It's now historic. The final Super Sunday of the 2000s, we got a bog standard Super Sunday. Arsenal beat Aston Villa 3-0. Manchester United beat Hull City 3-1. Late wins for both. And which for me is indicative of the Super Sunday concept. You get the amazing hype all week. The big flashy video packages on Sky Sports and every single ad break going. And 
it slowly deflated with games that are usually containing some big teams, you know, Manchester United and Arsenal here, for example, against usually lesser opposition. And it almost always ends up with wins for the big teams, especially in the 2000s when we had quite high points tallies with United and Chelsea and Arsenal all getting 90 points. And second place, then reaching a then record of 86 with Liverpool in 2009. Sky would go on to bloat this concept to three games, sometimes with the advent of the 12pm, 2.15 and 4.30pm kickoffs, and before the advent of COVID, which made us sit through two blocks of four in a row, but usually there'd be some form of channel hopping going on from BT 12 and 3 to Sky with their Saturday night football from half five to eight. So these days are probably numbered with... Uh, COVID vaccine and a potential return to pay-per-view in 2021, which nobody wants to see, especially at £14.95. We'll be going back to the football in his best guys, Serie A 2001-2 season, where we'll be looking at the Serie A table that was 19 years ago today. Welcome back, and what you're seeing on screen there is the Serie A table as it was 19 years to the day. We've got Venezia, Parma, Fiorentina and Lecce all in the relegation spots, whilst AC Milan and Lazio occupy the Europa League or UEFA Cup spots, whilst Roma, Juventus, Inter Milan and, who's that up there, Chievo, Verona are in the Champions League spots. And it is Chievo where we have our correspondence, as at Maracas Flutes again writes in, the things that leap out at me that I remember well are the flying donkeys of Kievo. Made sweeter because Hellas went down, Kievo wasn't a fluke as they had the likes of Manfredini and Carini as well as Ashton under Lime's own Simone Perotta. Legro Tagli, who would be their centre-half, as well as Eriberto, or name change of course, Luciano. The flying donkeys nickname emanates from the Hellas Verona fans who stated in the early 90s that donkeys will fly before Kievo played in Serie A. Cut to 2001 and Kievo were playing in Serie A, but they were expected to drop straight back down. However, Luigi Del Neri's 4-4-2 with Manfredini and Eriberto slash Luciano acting as wingers, very offensive wingers, also almost made it a 4-2-4 in what was still a highly defensive Italian league. As we see here, the top in Serie A beating Inter Milan in the San Siro. Inter Milan who would, of course, be league leaders on the final day, but we'll be talking about that later on. The following match for Kievo was a 3-0 defeat at home to Roma, and Roma, of course, would be the club that they would see in their nightmares after a 5-0 loss in the capital on the penultimate weekend, which dropped them from 4th to 6th. Kievo would level out at 5th place, missing out on Champions League football on the final day, but when you put it into perspective, fifth place from a team that should never be even be getting 20 points, it was a fantastic achievement. They would remain in the top half in 2003 with 7th and 2004 with 9th before bottoming out at 15th in 2005, which was lucky for them that Serie A had expanded to 20 teams and they would stave off relegation. It was a resurgence after that in 5th or what they thought was 5th in 2006, which was later converted into 4th after the Calciopoli scandal and Juventus's demotion to Serie B. It would result in their only Champions League campaign, but a campaign that, of course, ended in the qualifiers, losing 4-2 to Bulgarians Levski Sofia in a season where they would be later relegated. They'd bounced back, remaining in Serie A for 11 years, 
before returning to Serie B in April 2019. Their Verona neighbours Hellas would be relegated this year in 2002 and only return to the top tier some 11 years later. They would bounce between Serie B and Serie A, returning to the top tier, passing Kiever on the way up in 2019 and had a fantastic season last season and the likes of Fabio Barini have come in and potentially on the way to bigger and better things this season, but we'll, we'll have to see in May. In the 2000s, Kievo and Hellas would only meet just twice in the Derby della Scala in the league this season, with the club sharing wins. Let's move on. Parma. They had lost a lot of players, but bounced back from the Coppa, Coppa Italia final defeat to Fiorentina in 2001. This season, they would beat Juventus in the final, stopping their own double but they would finish 10th and in a decline from, you know, they just won the UEFA Cup in 1999 and 10 years almost to that date, they would be relegated to Serie B. They'd return, but of course, financial irregularities saw them plummet to the fourth tier of Italian football sometime after that. There was a natural order of things though at the top of the table as Juventus claimed the title after a dramatic final day. Going into the final day though, Inter Milan led Juventus by a point and Roma by two points. Inter Milan travelled to Lazio, who could still get into the Champions League places, should AC Milan lose. Roma were hoping for favours to retain as Antonio Cassano got the only goal of their game in a 1-0 win at Torino. So the Turin neighbours not doing a great deal for Juventus there, there's a shock. Juventus struck early on through Trezeguet and Del Piero in a 2-0 win at Udinese, but the drama was to be had at the Stadio Olimpico. Karol Poborski cancelled out Inter Milan twice in a 2-2 first half, before Diego Simeone and Simone Inzaghi scored twice in the second half. Inter Milan would have to wait for Calcio Poli for another title, and that five in a row won via Roberto Mancini and Jose Mourinho in the late 2000s. They hadn't won a Scudetto since 1989. Conversely, Juventus ended their own four-year wait after AC Milan and the two Rome clubs juggled the Scudetto trophy around. Lazio would end their association with European success in the Champions League, finishing outside the Champions League places. In spite of the Valencia signings of Guy's Comendietta and Claudio Lopez, the UEFA Cup final of 98, the uh, Cup Winners' Cup win, and the Champions League latter stages fell away. They don't, they've only appeared in the Champions League proper in three occasions since, in 2003 and 2007, as well as this year, of course, this year is the year where they will face their first knockout stage match in the Champions League in 21 years. And a couple of hours before recording this, we found out that they will be playing champions Bayern Munich in obviously the hardest draw of the tournament there. Maracas Flu also writes in that Dario Hubner was doing the business still and um, spoke about the decline of Venezia, who was a staple of the Gazetta, but let's start with Hubner there. He was a top scorer alongside David Trezeguet at 24 goals at the ripe old age of 34 going on 35. He was Piancenza's striker and they had bounced back and in the 90s they were probably more of a Coventry city, constantly surviving the exploits of uh, relegation and the um, lone star of Enzo Maresca the following season wouldn't be enough to stave off relegation once more. Hubner couldn't do the business either. They would go down the following season. They have since they've since fallen down into Serie D and through a bankruptcy, currently reside in Serie C. And now Venezia, they had staved off relegation in 99, three points ahead of safety. 
They will be relegated in 2000. They bounce back and this is their first season back, but they will be going straight back down again, akin to, if we're going to put this in Premier League terms, akin to a West Brom from a few years later on bouncing back and forwards. They would finish with just 18 points and a team that were perhaps in a sharper decline were probably Fiorentina, likes of Batigol and the Champions League days were over. Even the 2001 Copper winners with the likes of Francesco Toldo, Enrico Chiesa, Angelo Delivio and Manuel Rui Costa couldn't save them this season. They finished 17th. They went down to Serie C too, thanks to uh, bankruptcy and they would only be back after successive promotions, a couple of name changes and a promotion playoff with Serie A's Perugia meant that they would return in a couple of years' time. They've been in the top tier ever since and returned to a Coppa Italia final in 2014 and indeed the Champions League in successive seasons in the late 2000s. They would go out in the groups in 2008 and followed it up with a last 16 tie against Bayern in 2010, which, thanks to Bayern's getting to the final, they would be dumped out of, which could be an omen for Lazio going into uh, February and March as ties with the German champions and of course European champions. But enough of that doom and gloom. After this break, after the short break, we've got the final 2000s trivial teaser of 2020. Welcome back, and we've got some more shout-outs. Again, Scott Shaw, six in a row. Surely you're using Google, mate, but let's move on from that. We've also got a new challenger, Charity Shops Finds, at shirts underscore original on Twitter, who both got the correct answer, and it was Stuart McCall. McCall, of course, a central midfielder, managed by Trevor Cherry at Bradford in the 1980s, Walter Smith at Rangers in the 1990s, also played alongside Benito Carboni, Stan Collymore, Neville Southall, the first two with Bradford in the late two th- in the early two thousands, and Southall both with Everton and Bradford. Tony Cotty and Pat Neveny also played alongside at Everton. So this week we have got a right back for you. He's been managed by Steve McLaren and Kevin Keegan, and he's played alongside Paul Gascoigne, Stan Collymore, Stuart Downing, Aaron Lennon, and Dennis Wise. McLaren Keegan, his managers, Gaza, Collymore, Downing, Lennon and Wise, his teammates. We'll be back after our extended Christmas break in the first week of January with episode 23. From all of us here at What If Underscore YouTube, which is just me, have a great Christmas and a happy new year. And let's have a better year in 2021, shall we? See you later. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.